Okay, you're good? Yeah. Slightly shorter break than usual, so I'm sure you're thinking, oh, I wish I'd bought, you know, I've got another cola bottle or something. But um, are you all going to be able to handle concentrating for the next uh, hour and a half? Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, we are bang in the middle of our series on um, 1 Corinthians. And um, just to give a little bit of intro, really, uh, again, not big detail, but just the, just the highlights so that you are uh, either maybe you're, it's your first time here or you're just feeling a little bit out of the loop. So just to give you a feel again, Corinth, if you went there today, you'd just see a few pillars Sprouting out, sprouting out of the grass, that's it. Um, 2,000 years ago, a huge city, much like London. It's incredible, really, isn't it, how, what can happen over time. But then it was a magnetic hub, much like our city. Hugely cosmopolitan, uh, a real centre for trade. Um, but as we've been looking at and, and noting over the last few weeks, uh, incredibly sexually promiscuous city uh, and renowned for it. In the same way like, uh, that uh, for a city like Bangkok, for example, today would be renowned for that kind of thing. That was, that was Corinth. Um, and, uh, and so what we see is that it's totally uh, almost predictable, really, that Paul has to address issues of sex, sexuality, sexual relationships when he writes to these guys. Because for them it's a big issue. Um, and you tend to find that when people become Christians, the issues that they struggle with are often related particularly to their background or particularly to their environment. Well, for the Corinthians, it was both. We know that their environment was incredibly promiscuous, but also in chapter 6, Paul lists various different kinds of sexual immorality. And he says, some of you were into this, but you were washed and cleansed when you became a Christian. But so we see that for a lot of the Corinthians, it wasn't just their environment. Actually, they were still aware of they'd been in this life before. Um, this life of kind of um, sexual um, uh, immorality. Um, we, in fact, you know, we read it, didn't we, a few weeks ago about one of the guys in the church who was still sleeping with his dad's wife. So there's all sorts going on. Um, but obviously for this church here, it's a particular issue. It seems like for the church in the West these days, it's an issue. Um, it is fairly common, sadly, even for many uh, pastors to suddenly not be pastors anymore. Why? Because they've, they've, they're off. They've gone off with the secretary or whatever. This happens a lot. Um, it's common for uh, Christians to divorce. Um, it's, it, these things are common. Um, so it's important that we address it and then we look at these things and that we build a real good foundation. So um, last week was celibacy. Remember that? The, the five C's of celibacy. Um, this week is going to be the six P's of marriage. Now, I know marriage doesn't be my P. I know that. But I couldn't find six M's. So um, it's going to be the six P's. But what we're going to do, we're going to read uh, chapter 7 again. This time, we're, uh, we're not going to be so much with our celibacy goggles on, but with our marriage goggles on. And we're going to look at marriage this week. You up for that? Yep. Now, I know most of you are married. Most people at Revelation Church aren't married. Um, statistically, it seems like unless there's a huge burst after last week of zealous celibacy, okay, which there may well be, but if the stat's generally anything to go by, most of you one day will be. Um, for those of you that won't be, you will have friends that are. And you may well be discipling people that are married. Okay? So it's important to get really well grounded biblically on what marriage um, should look like regardless. Okay? So it's important for all of us. So here we go, chapter 7. 
Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, quote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, unquote. So it seems like they'd written to Paul saying, this is what we're teaching our people, Paul. Just want to check this is what you're actually saying. So Paul responds to that for the rest of the letter. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, single. But each has his own gift from God, one of the one kind, one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which the Lord God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when you're called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have to, no command from the Lord. What he means is Jesus talked nothing specifically about this in the Gospels. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of the world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. 
If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry, it's no sin. But whoever's firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. It's the Word of God. Good stuff, isn't it? Yes. I thought it was. Okay. <laughs> so, the six P's of marriage. I'm just going to teach on marriage, really unpacking this thing. It won't be an exhaustive uh, sermon on marriage. Simply going to try and be true to the text, sound real close to it, and just walk through the things that Paul says about marriage in a way that's memorable. Number one, P, promiscuity. Let's look at verse 2 where he says, uh, chapter 7 verse 2, um, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now it seems like these Corinthians, because of their own experience sexually in the environment they're in, they've kind of just really gone for the full-on celibacy thing. It's really good not to have sexual relations. It seems like their thinking has been tainted by their past experience. You find this very often uh, with believers that have had a, um, a, a life before Christ which has been marked by sexual shame, sexual sin, sexual abuse, sexual promiscuity, sexual immorality. They kind of bring in this kind of idea very often whereby in their mind they associate sex with either guilt or shame or uncleanness or it's negative. Um, and so it seems like that's what the Corinthians are doing and their real big thing about celibacy is actually part of it is coming out of that. And so Paul has to combat that. Now part of it actually is, is, is really good and Paul commends that as we looked at last week. But he's actually wanting to say, no, actually, do you know what? I want to just teach us all that sex within marriage is really, really good. A really cool thing, really positive thing. And he wants to renew their minds um, really out of their old way of thinking. That's really what he wants to kind of uh, bring them out of, uh, and, uh, which is a massive part of your Christian life. When you get saved, just so you, if you're not saved, what's it like to be a Christian? Everything changes. Everything gets challenged. Every attitude, perception, value, priority that you hold gets thoroughly challenged by Jesus who reveals his truth from this book. And that's the way it is, I'm being honest with you. And so uh, really whatever you bring in, it's up for grabs. Okay? <laughs> whatever you bring in, uh, you put it under the scrutiny of the scripture and it's kind of like, okay, will it stay or will it go? Who knows? Let's see what, the, see what God says in his word. That's what it's like. So the, for, for the Corinthians, it's this subject, it seems of sexual relations and it, for them it's not there's nothing good in it and Paul says actually no actually do you know what marriage is really good and it's a real and it will in a, in a promiscuous society actually could be a real lifesaver for you now he's not saying simply that marriage is for sex there's a lot more about marriage elsewhere but particularly to the Corinthians he's saying do you know what it could really keep you safe could really keep you from really coming under serious um, temptation and just a sense of, you know, that kind of living life kind of available. He said, at, at times can leave you feeling vulnerable. Actually, for many of you, it will be safer to just find a good husband, to find a good wife and, and, and express your sexual desire, your sexual energy, your sexual passion within that relationship. Okay? And it, it's, a, it's a guard. It's a guard for you. It's a very practical pastor, pastor in here. Very, very practical. It's not, it's, not, it's not all highfalutin stuff. You know, you get a lot of that with Paul, but it's very practical as well. And he really tries to help the Corinthians on this front. 
And then secondly, when he starts talking about actually within marriage, okay, so it's, 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 good, it's good to marry because it can be a protection against sexual temptation that's out there. And then he goes on to, which is the second P, protection. He said, actually, once you're married, you, your sex life is supposed to protect one another and protect your marriage. And he's very, I mean, I would say he's surprisingly clear on this. I would say that uh, I've come across Christians who try to be more spiritual than God on this. I remember speaking to one guy who was, he was telling me, he's from a different nation, and he was telling me about the, God, the men of God in that nation, you know. Some of them, you know, something like this, some of them, they, you know, they don't have sex with their wife for a whole year. As if it was like, they're, ama- they're, ama- as if it was like, they're amazing, yeah? And I'm just thinking, you know, what does the book say? Well, let's see what, the, what God, what does God say? He says this, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Conjugal rights is uh, uh, um, you should be with your spouse incredibly permissive sexually. Okay. And the wife her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. This whole my life, my body thing, when you're married, it's gone. <laughs> Ain't happening anymore. All right? No longer yours. His. Likewise, husband, your body, no longer yours, it's hers. You give yourself physically, entirely to one another. Don't deprive one another. Except, and I love this, perhaps by agreement for a limited time. So all this boasting about, oh, it's been a whole year, I've been praying, you know, it's not, no. No, that is not to be upheld as some spiritual ideal, by any means. Okay? Perhaps by agreement, okay? So it's not one of you just, you know, I don't know, just kind of just trying to, oh no, I need to go and pray fast for three months. So I can't. No, by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again, okay? So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self control. Um, so if in a marriage one spouse is keeping the other from, uh, is not allowing, the other spouse uh, to, uh, to, to freedom sexually, then you are laying your spouse open to satanic attack. Okay. Very serious. So spiritual warfare, it's protection of one another. Come together again, is what he says. Mark Driscoll says that if there's a, there's a gap in your bed, then Satan will get in the middle. <laughs> yeah? It's very vivid, isn't it? It's very, it's very vivid. It's a very helpful kind of, kind of a thing. Um, this is Christian... This is Christian marriage, as, as, as it's been. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. I know it's authority, okay? This is what God says about marriage. You must take it very, very serious. Sex is to be given freely. There's no bartering or dealing to be going on. Sex is to be given. Uh, 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 sex should mark your marriage. It's something that happens, goes on frequently. This is it. This is the word of God, okay? This is, this is what marriage um, looks like. This is very, very important that we understand this. Um, just to say on the whole sexual immorality thing, because what is immorality, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's very, any sex outside of marriage is sexual immorality. Now at this point, some of you might think, well, why? Why? What? Why? Here's why. You go back to creation, what you find is, is that God creates the man out of dust, and then creates the woman out of the man, and then like a father at a wedding, brings the woman to the man, and gives her away to him, and they come together again. So they were, in one sense, one. God... 
took her out, fashioned her in that sense, brings back, and they come back together again. And so that act of physically coming together speaks of what has happened spiritually. They've become one. Marriage is, in, is, a, is a divine, holy, mysterious, God-ordained wonder whereby God joins together a man and a woman. So in a spirit, they become one. And then that act of sexual intercourse speaks of the covenant. It demonstrates vividly and physically what has happened in this amazing spiritual covenant. It's like the bread and the wine. Okay? When we take the bread and the wine, what's happening there? Well, we, those of us who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and he dwells inside us by spirit, and we are joined with him, okay, and he's our nourishment now, we come and we play that out in the bread and the wine. Imagine you're here and you're someone who doesn't believe, and you say, well, can I get involved with that over there? I say, I say well, no, I'd rather you didn't. You say, well, I say, well, it's meaningless. Because it's, it's, it's to speak about, it's there to speak about something that's actually happened. You take it out of that, it just becomes a ritual. It just becomes, why are you doing it? Or if we had a baptistry up here tonight, we've got baptistry, two people getting baptised, it's great. Maybe someone at the back says, hey, can I, can I do that? And I say, well, do you, know, do you believe in Jesus? Well, no. Well, why do you want to do it? Well, it just looks like fun. I'd say, it's probably not, let's, let's just, no, let's go for coffee and talk about Jesus instead, okay? This, why? Because this going down into the water, dying, it speaks of you dying, being buried and being raised again with Jesus, which is what has happened if you've become a Christian. Likewise, sexual intercourse speaks of what has happened, you've come into a lifelong covenant with that person. Outside of that, it makes no sense. It may be fun, so is getting baptised, okay? But it's no longer what it is. It, is, it speaks of the covenant. This is why um, adultery, uh, sex, just kind of sex outside of marriage, one night stands, or even, even cohabitation, uh, homosexuality, homosexual activity, um, anything that is not marriage is not valid in the eyes of God. That's why. Because marriage is a, is a creation, God-given ordinance that is incredibly sacred and you don't mess around with it. And that act of sexual intercourse speaks of that. That's what it's there to do. Okay? So this is why. So, so we've got promiscuity and then we've got protection. Okay? Then we're going to get onto the interesting stuff, which is, well, you say this is interesting already. I know it is, but it gets really interesting now. If we go to verse 28, where Paul says this. If you do marry, you haven't sinned, and if a betrothed woman married, she hasn't sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Third P, perplexity. There are perplexities even in Christian marriage. Uh, I started dealing with this a little bit last week, and I had to pull myself back because I was preaching on celibacy, but I want to say this plain and clear to you, and I, and I just want to destroy any naivety that is out there. In Christian marriage, there is perplexity. In Christian marriage, there is worldly trouble. What, what does he mean? Well, he unpacks it. He says that something happens in the mind when you get married, whereas before you're married, you're only asking really one question, how can I please Jesus? Once you're married, you're asking two questions. How can I please Jesus and how can I please my wife or my husband? And it's totally right that you're thinking that way, but boy, does it cause problems sometimes. Yes. You say, what? Even if we're both Christians? Yes. That's exactly what is being taught here. Paul is assuming here Christian marriage. This is, this is the way it is, folks. This is why you've got you to gotta think it through before you get married. I remember sitting down with Davina and I remember saying to Davina, Dad, look at this, <laughs> when we were engaged. Look at this. 
And I wasn't trying to get out of marriage. I just said, look, we need to talk about this. Before, you know, we need to talk about this. And we did. And you just got to be prepared for there are times that come in Christian marriage where, you know what, you both, wanna, you both love the Lord and you both want to serve the Lord. But you seem to be actually pulling, pulling in d- different directions or you just you feel like, man, I, you know, one spouse might think, what is it with you? I'm trying to serve the Lord and all you're doing is kind of moaning at me or whatever. And these things happen. It will happen. Now... One of my points later, I'm going to talk to you about how you can make that as manageable and decrease as much as possible, okay? But let me just say, Paul says it will happen, so if you get married to a believer and it happens, don't freak out, right? I knew it was wrong, you know, all that. Or, why me? Always happens to me. No, okay? It happens in Christian marriage, okay? Yeah. All right. Okay? Yeah. We need a corporate okay to that. Okay, you need to understand that. Um, okay, so be prepared for that. Okay, but then we get this. He goes in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, this is interesting because what's, what's he saying here? Because he's just said loads of stuff about marriage and been really clear and quite prescriptive. Now he's saying, do you know what, if you're married, just act as if you're not. (gasps) How how can he say that and that in the same paragraph? What is he getting at? It's because you've got to be clear on this because it could could be like, you know, one spouse says to the other one night, you know, hey babe, how about it? And and, and one says, well... um, you know, no, I, I don't, I don't want to make love tonight. And that first spouse says, have you read what it says here? <laughs> the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And the husband says, but have you read verse 29? <laughs> From now on, let those who have wives... Live as though they had none. And you think you're in Bible wars again, aren't you? It's like you're both putting out scriptures that seem to contradict each other. What does it mean? What's Paul getting at here? Here's what Paul is getting at. Paul is saying, if you're going to be married, do it well. Love one another. Give yourselves totally freely to one another. But the whole time, remember, it's not ultimate. The gospel is your marriage is not ultimate. There will, a day will come where you will no longer be husband and wife. You'll be brother and sister in Christ still in glory, but you won't be married anymore. It's not permanent. It's not old. Now, it points to something permanent. We'll look at that later. But it's not permanent. The gospel is, and your identity as believers and followers and disciples is. This is why Jesus says in Luke 14, verse 26, that very difficult passage, which often causes people to scratch their heads. He says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, so obviously speaking to guys at this point, and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He's saying what he's saying there, what Paul is saying here, listen, there will be times that come where for the gospel's sake, actually, you will have to do something that will make your husband or wife feel like, man, you, do, you hate, do you hate me? There have been times like that in my marriage where I've known I've had to go away to preach, to minister somewhere, maybe another country for a little while. I've known, it's not been one of those, I'm going to do it because I'm going to prove myself. No, I've known, no. There have been other times where I said, I'm not going. 
I'm not going because of my family. But there have been times where it's like, no, I know I need to go. And you leave home, and it's like you're leaving, it's like you're going to war, you know. It's like you're going to war and you're never coming back. There's tears, there's kids hanging off windowsills, dribbles, <laughs> not, there's a wife saying, I'll be okay, you go, tears, through the tears, you know. And you walk up the street thinking, flippity doo flippity day. <laughs> my, oh my, what a terrible day. And you just think, what have I done? You do. You think, I hate them. I hate them. And I bet they hate me now. And, uh, and it, it, you, you know, you think, and, and you walk down the street, and you know what? You're thinking, I feel like, I feel like Mr. Irresponsible. I feel like I might as well not be married doing this. Yeah, those times come for the gospel. C.T. Studd, who was a very famous cricketer in the 19th century, um, he's like a very well-known celebrity, became a Christian. Gave up all of that and uh, went to live in China as a missionary. Um, met his wife out there and uh, in their vows, they vowed, part of their promises, they vowed that they would never hinder one another in the gospel. Okay? They brought that in deliberately. They said, we would never hinder each other in the gospel. Well, uh, I think a good few years into their very happy and fruitful marriage, but a good few years in, that promise was put to the test. When C.T. Studd felt clearly from the Lord, he had to go to Africa. And uh, she just, her health wouldn't allow it. And so I think it was the last, I think, I might get my facts wrong, but I think it was the last 10 years of his life. He spent in Africa, died out there, and her in the UK. She released him to go. They'd made that thing in their vows. The gospel was the priority in that marriage. I don't believe that what he did was wrong. I don't believe there was... Now, it would be very different if the, the guy or the girl was actually escaping... They hadn't put the work into their marriage, hadn't built well. Oh, yeah, uh, Africa, I've got to go. It's completely different. <laughs> and probably 99 times out of 100, that'd probably be the case. But in this case, it wasn't that at all, you know. Um, and they, they, this is what Paul is saying here. The time is short, and the gospel takes priority. Now, praise God, most of the time, you're married to someone that you're equally yoked to, you can run together for the gospel. But there may come those situations where actually, oh, we've, you know, the call is there and the call is clear. And there's a mutual releasing that has to happen and take place amidst, I'm sure, all kinds of tears for the gospel. So you probably won't hear that preached much because I'm not sure everyone agrees with that. Um, I think that it's biblical. You'd have to weigh that yourself. So... Number five, verse 39. A wife is bound to a husband as long as he lives. But if a husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. It's permanent. <laughs> Marriage is to be permanent, okay? Now, Believe me, I am not wet behind the ears or naive on this whole thing of marriage, divorce, remarriage. My parents are both on their third marriage. I know how these things go. I know there's all kinds of emotional complications. I'm not, I'm not preaching today on marriage, divorce, remarriage, okay? I'm sure that will come. I'm simply saying this. It is absolutely God's design that marriage is permanent. Absolutely. Solemnly, soberly permanent. Uh, and you've got to go in. You've got to go in with the divorce is not an option mentality. You just, that's the, you've just got to go in with that. And I want to say, if you're considering getting married, you, you, that's how you've got to go in. 
There's no two ways about it. Marriage is too darn tough at times and demanding. If you do not go in with that mentality, then you're locked out. Okay? You hit seasons that are plain dark as believers. When you just think, I don't know the way through here. At that point, if in either of the spouse's mind there's a get out clause, that one's going to jump. They're going to jump ship at that point because it's just got too darn hard. Okay? It's permanent. Finally, I want to just talk a little bit about partnership. I'll have a bit of fun with this one. If husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Okay? Right. How to find a good husband or wife. Are you up for this? Yeah. All right. Firstly, don't be a Wally. Yeah, no, you're all right. You've already gone. <laughs> permanent. Permanent, yeah? All right. He's just, he's just responsive like that. He's enthusiastic. Okay. <laughs> I won't mention any names because his wife listens on the internet. Okay. All right. Firstly, don't be a Wally. Okay? Just don't. Don't do all that. Is this Mr. Right? Stuff. Is this the one predestined from the beginning of the year to be my part? Don't do it. Now listen, I do actually believe that all of our days are written in his book before one of them comes to pass. I do believe that. The Bible says it. I believe it. It's not ours to fathom though. It really isn't ours to fathom. I mean, don't go there. You will create an intensity, a complexity and a plain old weirdness about that relationship before you even got it off the ground. Because you'll go out for a coffee and... The other, the other person is going to pick up and think, flip, there's some serious intensity going on here. Why does she want to know what I think about predestination? I'll just come out for, for a coffee. What, what's she, what, what? Yeah. Just, I'll say this, this is controversial. I'll say it, I think the Lord knows where I'm coming from. <laughs> Hopefully you do. Pray less, think more. Why am I saying that? Here's why I'm saying that. I've counselled Christian, courting, engaged couples who are clearly killing each other, but they, neither of them will, will go into reverse. Why? Because we've prayed about it. But you don't like each other. <laughs> well, we prayed about it. You're, you're killing each other. You're not blessing each other. We prayed about it. At that point, you think, I mean, I remember one couple, it was like, man, alive. And at that point, you just got to leave it because you feel I'm on holy ground here. You prayed about it. Who am I? You know, you're a priest as much as I am. You know, it's a new covenant. Who am I to say, well, you didn't hear right? I don't know, but I'm just, you ask the questions. Thank God, a week before the marriage, it got violent. And I say thank God because it meant the thing didn't happen. <laughs> Because it was just had it had trouble written all over it, and I, I just think you know you you you've got to think you got to think you got to think, and just ask yourself the the just basic questions you know, and just use your head, and don't go all silly. That's really it, right? So it's not Paul doesn't say try and find Mr. Right and Mrs. Right. He says marry who you like in the Lord, right? Basically, they're a believer, uh, and, and this just that some things are adding up, okay? 
So if you're called to work with street kids in Colombia, this one's called to reach business people in Dubai. Look, different continents. You're going to be one flesh. It's not going to work. Just say, oh, you know what? All the best. Plenty more fish in the Lord. <laughs> You've got to have that about you. Otherwise, if you don't have that about you, you get locked in. You get locked into this, this weird thing. There'll never be another. Yes, there will. Yes, there will. I did some sums. <laughs> I did some sums about a year ago. And I shared this with the girls and they just blew me out of the water with it. But I think I worked out that there's something like um, a million fish in the Lord um, for every, you know, every viable... You know, I'm talking like matching physical appearance, uh, you know, temperament, da da da, da. I mean, The boys were like, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. The girls were like, no, because they're more fussy, you know. But, <laughs> but you, know, I, so, you know, I think... There is that. So just marry who you like in the Lord. Yeah? And just try and make sure that you feel like, yeah, we could sort of spend, like, spend our life together and it'd be a good experience. <laughs> I mean, just do that. It's really fine to do that. Um, so, so just, you know, try and find, try and find a partner. Now, you, you, can't, you don't want to go the other way in it and just, you know, you don't want to be lazy in the sense of, well, no, you know, something came up and we, you know, we, didn't, we didn't totally see eye to eye on that, so, you know, no way, man. That's no, just lazy, all right? You're going to have to work things through. You will have perplexity. I've laid that foundation. Okay, there will be stuff to work through. Yes, there will. Yes, there will. And don't just go lazy so there's nothing to... There's, there's just someone who basically will just allow you to remain in your slovenly state, you know? So if you're a totally lazy bloke, all right, don't try and find one of them girls that just runs around and does everything. That's not compatibility. That's just disaster zone. Okay, you want to find someone who's going to sharpen you, someone who's going to challenge you, someone who's going to, someone who's, you're going to sharpen one another. Okay, so you're definitely after it. So I'm just saying you just find someone where there's going to be, you know, it's just going to be kind of, just this kind of, just everything's going to be easy. No, I'm not saying that. But, you, as, but by the same token, it's a bit of a tightrope, I guess, by the same token, though, you, you, you've got to, there's got to be some, some ground where you just like, hey, there's some ground here. This looks like it's similar ground. Yeah? Otherwise, you know, I just think you're going to have a really, really hard time. So is that cool? Yeah. All right. I'm going to do a bit of Q&A now. Then I'm going to end with the beautiful, glorious gospel bit and show you how all this threads together. So I want to do that now. Any Q&As on this subject? Ruth. Yes. Is there sex that's inappropriate within marriage? Very, very good question. Um, the basic principles, I think, biblically, sort of gospel principles, if you're looking at the relationship between Christ and the church as a model for marriage, we can look at that in just a moment, I would say that you're absolutely looking for um, uh, um, doing things together that you're both comfortable with. Um, and if one, if one uh, spouse isn't comfortable, then it doesn't mean that it's just a no-go zone, but it means you've got to talk. And you've got to work through this because it could be that actually this partner is asking to do something inappropriate or it could be that this one has certain hang-ups on a certain area that actually the Lord is going to want to help him or her through. So, you know, but, but basically, uh, while there's a sense of unease on one side of the relationship, then you don't go there. Um, Song of Solomon is a great book um, uh, to read in terms of just uh, understanding real 
intoxica- sexual intoxication, um, uh, sexual freedom to the glory of God. Um, so, you know, you give your body entirely to one another. So in that sense, you know, in that sense, yeah, absolutely anything goes. I would also say, and it's a shame to have to say it, but you have to because it seems to be becoming increasingly popular as the whole sadomasochism thing. I would just say that is clearly wrong. Why? Because look at Christ and the church. There is a t- relationship of tenderness there, a relationship of gentleness there, a relationship which is constructive and not destructive. And so that whole thing is perverse. And if you're, if you're, if you're enjoying that whole thing, then you're going to need some help from the Lord out of that. Okay? You're going to need some help. Okay? Now, we all struggle in different areas, so if that's you, don't feel condemned and like you're cast away, but you're going to need some help through that, because that's, that's not good at all. Um, and there's something going on there, which is driving that, which we've just got to, we've got to get a bit of light in there, because that's dark. Okay? So, there's gentleness, tenderness, it's love, not lust. Love is about giving, lust is about taking, so in the way that you make love, you're looking primarily to bring pleasure to your, to your partner. If they are also doing the same, then you're just, you just maxing it out on the enjoying one another thing. Um, can, you, can there be a kind of an unhelpful lust within marriage, even towards your spouse? I think so. I think that if um, within marriage you're kind of so uh, preoccupied with sex that you're, you're, you're losing your peace and your sense of contentment um, uh, and, and it's all you're ever thinking about, then there may be something that's got a little bit kind of skewed there, and you just need to get that renewed a bit and, and, and helped out a bit there. Nevertheless, what I am not advocating is a, um, is, is a medium or a low-level desire for one another within marriage. I'm encouraging you to chase each other around the house once you're married. Okay, absolutely. Okay, so but but with perspective, you know, it's not all that life's about. So that's a great thing. Okay, so does that help? Cool. Any other questions, Sarah? Yes. When you get married, you become incomplete without your spouse. Yes. So if you, in the vows, it says till death parts us, yes. that would release you from marriage. Yes. Yeah. Would you get divorced? Does that mean you stay incomplete forever? Or, yeah. I would imagine that in a, in, a, in a sense, um, uh, divorce, divorce is incredibly damaging. Now, I'm not saying that I never sympathise with why people do. I'm not saying that. But it nevertheless is incredibly damaging because of the intimacy of the relationship. So, so I think that there must be a sense in which, if the marriage had any meaning, there must be a sense in which you're walking around like a little bit of an amputee. Yeah, I would imagine that there is. Because um, to give yourself to someone like that and to become enmeshed in that way and then to be torn apart. I mean, you know, you find a lot of people that have just been going out or engage that happens to us incredibly, you know. Now God does heal. God, God can and God does heal. So it's not like you have to live with it forever. But I would say there's definitely going to be a season where you're, you know, you're going to need a lot of TLC. You're going to need a lot of support. Um, and and, you, and yeah, you're really going to need to just be looked after. Yeah. You call me. What's the approach where? Yes. 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 Yeah. It's interesting because obviously Paul. What do you do if there's two people are married and one wants to divorce, the other one doesn't? Paul. Paul covers it when it's. What seems to have happened is there were numbers of people in the Corinthian church 
who became Christians while they were married. And so they're already married to an unbelieving spouse. Okay? And Paul says, if that unbelieving spouse wants to leave you because you've become a believer, let them go. You are called to peace, not warfare. Okay? So there is a clear commandment there. Um, we, you know, which is, you know, that's, that's clear for us. If two believers, if, I think if, two, it's an, if two, two believers get married and then one wants a divorce, I think at the end of the day, you can't physically stop them. Do you know what I mean? But I think you, you, I think, I think you would want to say that you want to do all you can to fight for that marriage. And at the end of the day, if it ends in divorce, you need to know before God that you did all you could genuinely to fight for the repair, reconstruction, reconciliation of that relationship. Um, but yeah, I guess it, there could come a point where fighting makes it even more destructive. Do you see what I mean? You have to know where to draw the line. Um, but yeah, I hope that helps. One more. Go for one more. Dave. Uh, what would you say to someone who uh, has, been, has had sex sort of outside of marriage and, and, and perhaps is looking to you know, get married or perhaps even had an abortion and, you know, that so... And now, and now they're looking to get married, and perhaps to someone who's kept themselves pure. You know, what, I don't know how to have this. So, someone's, um, <clears throat> someone's looking to get married to someone, uh, but, but both believers, but one of them in their past has had like sexual relationships and maybe even abortion, something like that. Um, I just would say on that front that there just needs to be, uh, again, a lot of care and a lot of love, and I would say definitely that stuff needs to be spoken about and talked through within that relationship. Um, it's an interesting one because when do you bring it up? You know, you don't, you don't bring it up over your first coffee, do you? Along with predestination, do you know what I mean? You, you don't. You know, it's like, ah, you know, you're not going to do that. There will come a point, though, where that relationship is looking, it's, it's progressing and, and this is a significant part in that person's past that they just feel like, you know what, I just really need this person to know this because it could actually be a huge stumbling block for them and I need, to, I need them to be able to work that through before they feel like the relationship's gone so far that there's no way out. Do, do you know what I mean? So I think on that front, there need to be a lot of wisdom and guidance on that. I would say, um, sort of a bit of a kind of a bit of a straw man just to help us, I would say probably um, pre-engagement, but when it's, when it's looking like it's getting to that point. Um, and I would say, it, 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 obviously, I'm not going to lay out, because it's hypothetical, I'm not going to lay out exact things, but there needs to be, obviously, I would say, it's great for every couple that are caught in in a way that's serious or engaged to have another couple that they're just safe with and they trust and respect that can really just help bring the necessary TLC and wisdom into that sort of mix. Uh, a bit more experienced, been around the track a few more times, that kind of thing as well. So it's not just... The two of them kind of really isolated, alone, vulnerable, trying to make head or tail of these kinds of situations. Is that cool? Has that helped or is there more? Yeah, that's helped stop me if I'm going off on one. But what if, um, just what would you say to someone about that whole sense of loss, of, of like losing virginity and not going to happen? Right, so okay, so the sense of loss and losing virginity, I would extol with my whole being that in Jesus Christ all things are made new. In Jesus Christ, all things are made new. Then we say, but what about actually if that person made that mistake as a believer? Then I would extol with my whole being that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's going to take just faith in the word. Yeah, that's what God says. That is the power of the gospel. 
Okay? And for that person to embrace that for themselves and for their partner to embrace it for them. It's really important. There's a twofold faith that goes on there where the person who, the guilty party, if you like, or whatever word you want to use, that they're able to really take that to themselves, but to really know and feel in a communicated way that the other person says, you know what? I totally see you in the same way that the Lord does, which is white as snow. And to be able to communicate that so that we just see the renewal that the gospel brings in these things. Is that cool? Okay, I want to just thread it up now by saying this. Marriage... What's it ultimately about? It's not about you and him, you and her. It's about Christ and the church. It's about pointing to the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. That is a permanent relationship that will last forever. So we believe, don't we, wholeheartedly that the father was looking for a bride for his son. And the father saw a load of messed up people and thought, yeah. Incredible, isn't it? They'll make a great bride. So he sent his son on a rescue mission and his son came and as hero, as sacrificial servant leader, which is what a husband should be, he laid down his life for his bride, which is what a husband should do. And he won her to himself through his death. He won her completely. And that is the, that's, the, that's the model. That is the model that on it, at the cross, he bore in his body our sins, that our filth and our mistakes and our shame and our guilt were all born in his body on that tree so that we could be forgiven, cleansed and washed and enjoy the lightness of spirit. That we, isn't it incredible, this lightness of spirit that we enjoy? What is That's the gospel. This ability to be filled with joy and confidence in God's presence and walk with a spring in our step. What is that? It's the gospel. It's what Jesus won for us. That the Father might join together the Son and his bride in an eternal, glorious celebration, supper, feast, where we will all be together in glory. Okay, That's what the earthly marriage is pointing to. It's Ephesians 5. It's all in Ephesians 5. It points towards that and it is glorious. So does the single life. The single life, which is lived with such undivided devotion to the Lord speaks of the gospel. How so? Here's how. It speaks of Jesus Christ who in his utter devotion won for himself a bride who is utterly devoted to him. And every time as a single person you give yourself in an undivided way that we spoke about last week, you are demonstrating the power of the eternal gospel. You are demonstrating that you've been utterly won by Jesus and that you are his and that this gospel works. And so the married life and the single life both point towards the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the best news you are ever going to hear. And it's why we sing about it every week. It's why we preach it every week. It's why we live it out every day. Isn't he amazing? Isn't it amazing? We're going to take the bread and the wine now, and as we do so, I want you to do it with a lightness in your heart and a spring in your step, because Jesus has washed your sins away from you. He has sponged you down, as Tolstoy uh, proclaimed two weeks ago. Isn't it what a beautiful image? He sponged you down, and you are now clean in the presence of God. Amen. To live your life fully for Him as a demonstration of the gospel, whatever your gift and calling, whether single or married. Father, thank you so much for your grace over our lives. Thank you for the clear instruction you give us how to live by your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you want us to build well. You want us to lay great foundations. You want us to receive all the wisdom and the counsel 
that we need, Lord, so that we can... We can we, thank you. I want to pray, God, that the, the motto, the motif, the, the, the thing, the slogan over our lives are, is no regrets. Yeah. I want to pray that, Lord. I want to pray that. Lord, not ease. Not just shortcuts. But no regrets. Plenty of battles, I'm sure. Trials and all of that, but no regrets. I pray that, Lord. I pray that for my brothers and my sisters. I pray that for those who are particularly facing temptation. Facing temptation to get together with someone not in the Lord. Facing temptation to just uh, compromise. To skip over elements of your word and explain them away. I want to pray you'd keep them from that so they'd have no regrets. I want to pray for humility that would come on us as a church. I pray for a reverence for scripture. I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't just constantly just try and, oh, that was for them. This, we don't like stuff. Help us to be reverent and humble before your revealed word, Lord God, because we, we know that your, your scripture equips us for righteousness, equips us for good works. And I pray, oh God, that will be in our heart today for your glory. Amen. 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 Shall we stand?